Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast. This podcast is done by two ladies who play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised. take this off this is killing me (laughs) oh my god so emily and i are having major technical difficulties we usually uh facetime while we record these episodes so we can see and play off of each other but uh facetime is not working for some reason so we're trying out facebook messenger video call and they have lots of uh interesting filters and emily looks like a very angry Frenchman, or she did. She took it off, but... Uh... Oh my gosh, yes. I looked like um, that evil man out of Meet the <laughs> Robinsons. <laughs> I was thinking like Ratatouille. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, and my name is Emily. Welcome back to our second feature episode of our hallow mo- our hallow spooky month. Spooktober. Spooktober. Spookies. I like how I said hello spooky and still forgot to say spooktober. (laughs) (laughs) You you got the bones right. You got the gist of the situation. I did. So yes, this week we are going to be talking about the Salem witch trials, which I have been so stoked for and I'm excited. So pumped. I'm, I did all my research for this episode while watching Hocus Pocus, so I'm fucking ready to cinder, my guy. I love that. Gosh. Uh, well, uh, what have you been up to the last week, then? Have you been enjoying your spooktober? Um, I have. I have been enjoying um, tonight. Me and my guy ordered, like, a nice meal. We spent, like, literally $100 on takeout tonight, so that's fun. It happens. But I got some delicious food, and I'm not I'm not upset about it, to be honest with you. I'm quite pleased with my purchase. It felt like a good purchase. See, I feel like when it comes to date night stuff, like, that's pretty reasonable for a nice night in where you get to, like, hang out and do your own thing. Yeah, I mean, we ordered in dinner, and then we watched, like, a spooky movie, and then uh, now here I am talking to you. Oh, you mean your favorite person, and he's getting ice cream. Aww. Aww. Perfect date night. (laughs) It is the perfect date night. Uh, I cannot say the same. I feel like I've just had a really busy week with work. Nothing, nothing too spooky or spectacular yet, but I'm hoping to get more into into things as they they go on i'm still trying to figure out a halloween costume if i if halloween's happening still don't know but yeah i kind of feel like halloween is canceled this year it's the vibe i get from everything (laughs) i kind of get that vibe too but then with the kids being back in school i'm not sure how that's going to change things so 
Mm-hmm. Who knows? But um, yeah, it if, is very questionable. Yes, but if I'm able to dress up, then uh, I am down for that because, like I said in our, our previous episode, I just love the dressing up part. It's probably my favorite thing. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly, I'm just excited, and like things at work are really ramping up for me now so i'm just trying to like enjoy the time that i do have rather than uh focusing on the other 23 hours of the day that i'm busy <laughs> um see so. i feel like i need to make a plan for the fall because fall goes by so quickly and i feel like i never get everything out of it every year that i want to do you know i know see this is why i'm like okay corn maze check now we gotta carve pumpkins. We gotta get pumpkins. We gotta do all the pumpkin spice things. We gotta take pictures and leaves. We gotta do this. We gotta do that. I need to do it all because I fucking love it. See my my big thing is I really want to do a nice campfire with some like fall themed like beverages or like snacks oh. or whatever. Like and everybody has Can like I blankets come? and big sweaters. Yeah, bitch, you like live at my house or at my at my parents' house. <laughs> I mean, I don't, but, like, I do, kind of, I guess. I'm there enough, so you, I probably... You're, you're the seventh child that just got adopted in. <laughs> but no, because it's I've... It's true. Well, I've been talking about it with my mom, and she would really like to do something like that as well, and maybe do, like, card games. Like, basically, just have, like, a nice night of, like, uh, low-key, fall-themed socializing, sort of, you know? That sounds so fun. Ugh, I need a night like that. Ugh. Ugh. Gonna make Ugh. it happen now. Ugh. Yeah, I know, right? Ugh. Well, and my favorite thing too is that uh, now that I now that it, we are getting further through the month of October, I'm starting to see more of the like seasonal adult beverages hit the shelves, and I'm like, hmm, maybe it's time that I sample some of these. <laughs> oh my god! See, I feel like cinnamon and alcohol for me at least do not mix cinnamon i you mean like uh like fireball or anything like that like fire whiskey yeah can't (laughs) do it can't do pumpkin flavored alcohol either see i really want to try pumpkin spice whiskey i i've been seeing it around and i feel like Mm. it might be up my alley but i would also need to try it to know that you know it is the white girl beverage of your dreams. So I See? feel like there's a connection that needs to be made there. And apparently, according to country songs, like drinking whiskey makes you a bad bitch. So like pumpkin spice and being a bad bitch, I don't really see a downside, honestly. <laughs> see, that's why I'm trying to force myself to like scotch. And oh, I gosh, no. Told my, I told my dad that and he's like, why? why? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. It just seems like such a power move when you're out for a drink with like someone who's like a business associate and you're like, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a scotch on the rock. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're starting to sound like my partner. Well, like, except for he doesn't drink scotch, but I don't know. <laughs> you see, I was kind of on the same vein as you for a little while, but like with gin, like I kept trying to like go to places and be like, oh, I'll have a gin and tonic or cause it feels like a, like a really like kind of like long cigarette, drink. like hoo hoo type of type of drink. I can't say I love it. I can't say if I'll ever love it. Sometimes they come with olives, and the olives are pretty tasty, but, like, eh. See, I tried really hard to force myself to, like, martinis a few years ago. Okay. Like, gin martinis, and I honestly just could not get into it. See? I don't really like olives. Don't really like gin. But maybe I'll force myself to, like, scotch, you know? 
maybe it's a vibe. I don't you know. You never know. I'm, I've kind of learned over the years <laughs> of, ta- of sampling things that I will not go near scotch. I will not go near most red wines. <laughs> I will I will not go near um, gin really anymore, but I guess it depends. I'm really more, I do like whiskey. I do like um, white wine. And then I do really like, uh, I guess, vodka mix stuff. Like if you're going to be drinking like a cooler or something, but. Right. I think that's pretty much it yeah. for like the, the staple quote unquote hard hard liquor type stuff. My dad told me that if I want to force myself to like scotch, I just need to get drunk on it once and then uh, (laughs) and then just never stop. Just drink it every day. (laughs) Scotch is the new coffee. I was like, honestly, I can't even get through a full drink. So I don't know how I get drunk on it because that just feels like that's a whole thing. Like, I see. And then people are like, it's a sipping drink. And I'm like, yeah, you're sipping on it because you hate how it tastes. Like we all know. We all yeah. done new. I don't know. I, I, I guess I just really have to hate myself. Like one day when I'm like, oh, I fucking hate myself. That's the day I'll get drunk on scotch. <laughs> so if I told you that I got drunk on scotch, you know, like, oh, she hit like a low. No, I'm going to oh. be like, oh, all right, I'm calling your therapist right now. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Ooh, but honestly, yikes. I get it. I will say, though, I feel like. I don't know. Lately, I've been kind of leaning towards trying more mimosa type beverages or like mojito type beverages. I feel like I feel like that's a good path to go on. Mimosas are delicious. Could literally drink that for days. Why can't See, scotch just I've taste literally, like mimosas? I've literally only ever had, I think, one or two mimosas in my life. So yum. See, I wouldn't Ugh. mind sampling them more to decide how I feel, but I do, I did like them from those experiences. So I guess we'll have to see, but. It's literally alcoholic orange juice and it's delicious. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, I can see myself liking it, but like, I still have to figure it out. But. Salem witches. <laughs> Salem witches has nothing to do with scotch. Actually, I think. Wh- okay, maybe this is not one of our wheel of question questions, but this just came to me. What kind of alcohol do you think one of the witches of Salem would have liked? Rum. Yeah, I can see that, but like white rum, rum or, or like or like spiced rum. Spiced for sure. Spiced oh. rum or whiskey? I can see that. I can see that. That's I can definitely vibe. see spiced rum for sure. You mean pirates, witches, all the same. All the same. I actually, <laughs> it's funny you say that. I saw something the other day where people were comparing like different fashions just to go on another tangent since why not? It's our show. <laughs> <laughs> we can tangent if we want to. Yes. So I was looking and apparently. People who try to dress goth or like vampires or like pirates will generally all buy the same type of wear, like the same type of clothing. They're all different genres of things. It has to do with like entirely like how you accessorize and that type of stuff. But most people's closets who like are dressing to be one of those genres will usually have the same things between all those people. Interesting. I could see that for sure between I don't I don't know about pirates cuz like pirates I'm I 
feels like a little separate to me. Well, but I all think those other ones like well very for pirates similar for sure. I was gonna say for pirates like for like the umbrella thinking part of it. Think corsets, leather, white kind of poofy shirts, tall boots, tight pants. I guess you're right. It's just like. When I think pirates, like, it feels like a different, like, a very different category, whereas, like, witches and vampire, although different categories, you know, like, kind of feel similar in aesthetic. See, but, like, pirates. Just take off the hat. Like, in your brain, like, imagine the pirate, but without a hat. It's true. That's just a medieval bitch. They're all medieval bitches without their hats. And that would be why they would drink spiced rum. It all makes sense. We just fucking wrapped that with a bow. You're welcome, folks. This is why you come to this podcast. (laughs) The question nobody (laughs) asked, but we answered anyways. Oh, but speaking of questions, thinking it, literally nobody. But yes, I will now spin our wheel of questions to come up with our four Salem witch themed episode questions. Are you ready? Yay! I'm excited. So ready. Mm. Okay. So what do you think the biggest difference is between modern witchcraft and historical witchcraft? See, historical witchcraft just feels so much more, like, whimsical and, like, you know, they're getting, like, the sweat of a ghost or, like, the fang of a vampire. The sweat of a ghost! (laughs) Ectoplasm? Is that what you're talking about? It's it's from Halloween Town. One of the ingredients for the potion. Jesus Christ! The sweat of a ghost. So they go to this like spa, and a ghost is in one of those fucking like saunas, and they like turn it up, and it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. Anyway, anyway. Oh, before I forget, was it was I talking with you when uh, we found out? I'm saying we because it might have been you. Found out what Eye of Newt actually is? No. Okay. So I was not sure because I was like, I feel like I talk about a lot of spooky stuff with Jen. Um, so Eye of Newt is actually mustard seed. Oh, that makes sense, I guess. Right? And, uh, oh, I did find this out also. It has nothing to do with answering this question. But... Apparently, so you know how there's that whole, like, this is entirely hearsay, too, so I don't even know if this is the truth or not. I just read it in, like, five different places. But uh, you know how in historical witchcraft, because that is a part of the question, uh, that witches used to ride brooms, like, through the night, and they were like, oh, God, there she goes. Look, she's off with her groceries into the sky. Um, Apparently, that's not what they meant when people were like, oh yeah, witches used to ride broomsticks. Apparently they would make salves that were made out of hallucinogenic items and put them on the ends of their broomsticks and then masturbate with them. So they were riding the broomstick, (laughs) quote unquote, through the sky. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Because they were high, I mean, quote unquote. There's the tie between modern and historical witchcraft for you. <laughs> Which, the hallucinogenics or the masturbation, or both? Both. <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>, both. <laughs> oh, 
Well, honestly, it's one of those things, too, where I read it, and at first I was like, pish posh. And then I read it again, and I was like, well, I can't say I don't see it. Like, that could have happened. Yeah, I I never thought about it, but, I mean, I guess that makes more sense than using a broom to fucking fly then legitimately the flying through the air on a broomstick yeah. yeah right well that's what i thought too the more i read it i was like well it's more likely that than the alternative <laughs> but anyways but no so what was the question again <laughs> what do you think the biggest difference is between modern day witchcraft and historical witchcraft is the original question before we got to this place <laughs> Yeah, so I think, like, <laughs> the whimsicalness of it all, whereas I feel like modern witchcraft, because we have, like, so much technology, doesn't really have that, like, whim to it, if you know what I mean. Okay, I got you. I'm kind of on the same page as you, I think, because when I interpreted this question, my thought was is that I think the biggest difference is... Definitely the technology factor, because I do think that changes things, just with, like, communication bases and, like, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I will say that I do think, historically speaking, witches had a lot more roots in paganism. Not to say that today doesn't, but I feel like the the meaning of what a witch would have been back then, which would have been somebody who practices pagan traditions, has mm-hmm. changed to what it is today where somebody may not necessarily identify as being pagan or identify as being, say, a Wiccan or something that is a little bit more historically based and is just simply somebody who practices witchcraft with the and calls himself a witch because they engage in these practices without necessarily knowing the roots or believing in the traditions associated, you know? Right, that makes sense. Yeah, but it's like what you were saying, though. I do think that that is why, though... Technology is probably a big part. Also, a lot of people's covens are usually online depending on the type of witchcraft or the type of uh, Wiccan practices that people partake in. I think I'm using that word correctly. I know a little bit about Wiccan. I do know a couple people who are. It's just I don't know enough to be able to identify how it differentiates from other ones, you know? Yeah, I don't really know much about wiccans to be honest with you i yeah i really don't know much about them have you ever met anybody who's wiccan i have um i just feel like when i was friends with that person i was kind of too young to really understand understand and ask the right questions like it was we grew up in like a catholic school so it was kind of one of those things that was pretty taboo so They never really told me about it when, like, at the time. And, um, Hmm. yeah, I just, I've never really known anything about it. Okay. See, I I know somebody that I talk to still who they, they are not Wiccan, but one of their good friends is. So I kind of learn a little bit through that association. But when I was working with the government with my education stuff, I had somebody that I worked with who was Wiccan. So I got to know a little bit through her, too. But it's definitely a bit different, that's for sure. It definitely is, yeah. (laughs) But on that note, should we spin for our next question? Yes. Ooh, okay. So... 
do you think the mass hysteria around witchcraft still has negative effects in today's society? For sure. I think it does. I don't know. It's really one of the things that interests me the most about the Salem witch trials is how it was so targeted towards women especially women who did things that were against the grain of society like women who you know just didn't go to church very often or women who were unmarried and old without kids or you know and I think I don't know if it's because of the Salem witch trials or just like that same effect that put that stigma on them back then still existing today but it's definitely like rippled through the years of that same hysteria that same unease has definitely followed certain types of women around and made them Mm -hmm. ostracized from society or people were like oh feminists you know okay i got you it's interesting you did that take i didn't even think about that but you're right there is actually you can now that i'm like you mentioned it i can see the correlation between oh yeah Women are to blame for everything because they're witches and they're doing this from back in the day could very easily translate into, you know, today's society where you can't blame somebody for being a witch, but you can still ostracize women for not being what you think that they should be doing because that still happens. Exactly. And being like, oh, well, they're less than me or they're worthless because they don't do this. Like, I go to church every Sunday. Why does she not go to church every Sunday? Clearly, that means she's less than I am. Or, like, what kind of like what you were saying. But I get that. I get that. Hmm. For sure. And I feel, obviously, it's not the same. And I recognize that. Oh, there's differences for sure. Yeah. I think, like, feminist properties, like, women who are staunch feminists would probably be seen in a similar light that witches were back in the day you know Mm -hmm. because they are generally a little bit more counterculture which is more focused on the male gaze and the male point of view and i mean it's becoming more normalized now for you know feminism in like the mainstream culture but Mm -hmm. even a few years ago if you told someone you were a feminist they'd be like Ugh, like that yeah. means you hate men and blah blah blah. And it's kind of become trendy to hate men, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I get that. No, it's it's definitely but, um, interesting, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, it's it's interesting and I think it still exists and even you can even see it in the hatred of teenage girls because a lot of the culture and the the things that teenage girls love, like Twilight, for example, gets so much hate where it's, you know, we don't make fun of boys for liking Fast and the Furious because it's something to indulge, something just for fun. And that's what Twilight is. It's something just for fun for women to indulge in, but they're shamed for it, which is crazy. See, I... How I tend to explain it to people, like, say, if I'm in a conversation with somebody who is like, oh, well, that definitely happened in history. But, you know, today we're a lot better in that sort of thing. But, like, you know, we, like, we've come a long ways or whatever. I'm like, the way I see it is kind of how, like, it's weird. So as a woman or by talking with other women, it's very easy to see that we get a lot of victim blaming without 
being a victim to begin with. You know, it's kind of like being having blame put on you that didn't exist to begin with. It's like finding it's like a weird thing where it's like, I don't like this or I do not feel comfortable with this. Obviously, it's your problem to deal with your thing to deal with. And then it's almost like there's just always a negativity surrounding Mm -hmm. women where it's like, oh, well, you're always not worth this much or, oh, you're only able to do this, this or this. It's just it's like a weird projection of victim blaming is kind of how it reads when you talk to a lot of people. That's an interesting way to look at it. I don't know. It's just like, I feel this way. It's your fault. And it's like that all the time. Yeah, I could see that. And I I think that's a valid experience for a lot of women because these things are unfortunately put on a lot of women and women are often discounted for being too emotional, but men are just as emotional. They just show it in a different way. Yeah, that's, that's the whole thing, too. You can't expect men and women to be the same. That does not mean that one is more or less important than the other one. It just means different. And that is all I will say about that one. But... I don't know. Gender is a construct. What a concept. I don't know how I so, feel about so it, So is sexuality. Honest. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Gender is a construct of society. Fuck we all society. are. We're all a construct of society. Oh, yes. On that note, should we spin again? (laughs) I mean, now that we got all philosophical, you should probably. (laughs) So what do you think of when somebody says the word witch? Either to, like, in the description of somebody. I mean, like, the first thing that comes to mind when you say witch is Marnie from Halloween Town. Second is Hocus Pocus. Third is some lady with a pointed hat and like a yep. cool dress. Mm-hmm. Um, fourth is potions. I don't know. That's that's all that comes to mind. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fair. See, I'm kind of the same way, but um, in my family growing up, if you wanted to call somebody a bitch without using the B word, you would just call them a witch. Mm. <laughs> so. For me, number one is obviously pointy hat because, of course, and a broomstick, which now <laughs> has uh, lost all meaning to me. Whole different meaning. Whole, Whole different, different meaning. meaning. And secondly is of somebody who's just awful to be around. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a witch <laughs> right there. But see, that's the whole thing, too, though. It's still a negative connotation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's It definitely pits... Like, the way that the word witch is used, like, when you say, like, in your family, instead of calling someone a bitch, you called them a witch. Mm-hmm. Like, that's definitely how it's used in, like, a modern society is, like, it's negative. It's, like, not a good thing to be a witch. Like, mm-hmm. so it's just, like, it's an interesting way of, like, pitting women against women or, like, even, like, you know, like, making being a woman a negative thing. Yeah, or like even say like experience. Yeah, or like even say like if you're gonna dive into like the kind of traditional roots of being a witch, then it turns into this other thing where it's like, oh well, you are condemning somebody because they choose to believe something other than you that you don't understand, right? Like that's mm-hmm. still not good either. 
<laughs> yeah, don't lump up for uh, for society either. <laughs> this um, is turning into a big society talk. But society. I will say, to be fair, I did know that my te- that a couple of my questions were going to lean in this direction just because of how, culturally speaking, there are a lot of ways that women are being treated currently today that would have been very similar to back then. And in, in like these little like small ways, obviously there are some big differences, but it goes to show that it's more of a historical experience having to deal with the different mistreatments of people, of course, because obviously that's just women. But like, you know, there's just a lot of parallels between that hysteria versus the treatment of people today. Exactly. And I mean, I do feel like a college essay when I'm like, society is the problem. It brings me like flashbacks to university. But um, I do think um, there is a reason for that. Yes, I will say that I there is definitely a reason for it. And I do think it would be a variety of factors. I'm not just saying society, patriarchy, whatever. I do believe that a lot of the ways that people are... <laughs> well, I am going to say <laughs> that I think it has a lot to do also, though, with just people being raised and how they learn from other people. Like, say, oh, you learn growing up that witches are kind people who work with uh, plants and animals, which is also partially what they do, right? And you're taught that by mm-hmm. your family, but then you get into society and culture, whereas you t- where you talk to another preschooler and they're like, my mom says witches cast spells on people and they're evil. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, which is it? And then it's like that for everybody. Like you can't have a universal experience. The, the whatever most people believe is going to be what wins out. Right. And I think pop culture also plays a part in it. Like you look at a movie like The Wizard of Oz where the two witches are like evil and then you have the good witch and it's like this anomaly like oh there's a good witch out there Mm -hmm. that's weird yes you're right i didn't even think about that one that's a good one though yeah no definitely interesting which i agree which is why i was excited to cover this because the history is just very interesting i will say though for people if they are feeling like we're getting a little bit too womanly about this Name one time in history there were where there was a mass hysteria where the women started killing all the men. And you can email us. Um <laughs> you can email us wheelofcrime at gmail.com. That's a challenge. Man. I'm interested. I cannot say right now that I can think of a single time in history that's happened, but you could always prove me wrong. I'm I'm willing to learn. I am not a close-minded person. We're both willing to learn. Hey, I'm open. I'm don't think it happened, but I'm open. I don't think it happened, but I'm open. See, it's just <laughs> just things like that to think about. But on that note, should we spin our Wheel of Questions again? Let's spin again. I have to, like, brace you for impact every time I spin. It's just too powerful. So. The question wheel is so forceful. It is very forceful. I just completely worded the sentence wrong when I was writing it down, but I think I understand what I was trying to say. (laughs) So it says, do are your thoughts on witchcraft practices? But I think what I Ah. meant to say is, what are your thoughts on witchcraft practices? (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to go with the first one. Uh, Do are you? Do you are thoughts on witchcraft? (laughs) (laughs) 
Exactly. It sounds um, like something you say in a dream. Like you're just sleep talking. You're like, do our thoughts on witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't know what kind of dreams you have, but like, I don't know. Who knows? But no, I'm interested. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Um, hmm. So, I feel like it's not my personal belief. I'm a, I'm a very practical gal. I, uh, I live off the hard facts, went to journalism school, if that tells you anything about me, and <laughs> Canadian journalism school, so, um, so that should, you know, give you something else to think about, American Some- Something, Listeners out something there. to think about, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I don't really believe in witchcraft personally. Um, but I think it's really cool. Like it would be fucking rad as hell if we could just concoct a little potion here and there and make some shit happen. Like hell to the yes. Am I See, right? I get you. I get you. I I also agree with. Most of what you were saying, there are a couple differences, but I do also think that the whole idea of being able to like kind of throw random, well, not random, but like bits and pieces of things together to create a particular outcome is a really interesting thought, like making a potion or like a hex, but Mm -hmm. not really because I do not want that negative energy. But um, my thing- Good vibes potions. Good vibes only. See, my whole thing about witchcraft is that I understand that it's a practice and that's probably one of the world's oldest practices also. So my thought, though, is that witchcraft is not how people understand it normally. Like, I I don't think it's, I don't think it's like the hoodoo voodoo, stamp my fingers, hocus pocus, here's a love potion type of thing that's portrayed in pop culture. My whole thought of it is that I think that it has roots in things that make sense, I guess. Like if you if you look at some spells that people like practice or use when they're when they're partaking in their in their religion, if it's if you call it a religion, I'm not sure. But um you can see that a lot of this stuff is like, oh, like um for a couple of them you you repeat something to yourself every day in like a bowl of water to your reflection to change something within yourself, which is a psychological trick that is that people use nowadays to help inspire confidence and like do things to yourself using your subconscious brain. But you've but it's already been written previously in witchcraft. So there are some things like when you kind of take a like a look at it, like a look look at it, where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. like it's not so much the practice of hocus pocus here's a love potion. It's more if I do this, like I will probably feel better about myself or like walking barefoot in the woods to ground yourself. It's literally so that you feel like more connected to yourself. You're paying like more attention to your present self, which again is something Mm -hmm. that psychologists like psychologists want people to like say for a healthy mindset, you're supposed to live in the present rather than having anxieties about the past or the future. So it's, it's little things like that where I'm like, you know what? It, It does make sense. It may not be by my belief, but I can understand why people would want to have this as a belief. Because I do think that, especially in a lot of the more Wiccan practices, there is a lot more stuff in there that's meant to kind of improve people's lives or improve your own life or to, like, give a positive mindset or, like, little things like that. 
For sure. And I think I think I agree with what you're saying. It, it's it seems like a very psychological rather than like actual like magic because I don't think or like practicing really... routines or like doing other yeah. little things like it, it makes sense like if you if you take what say therapists say about how people if they want to develop a more positive mindset are supposed to do every day in a lot of witchcraft practices they already have that stuff as being like uh they but they it's just branded differently it's like in witchcraft it would be called a ritual if you're developing like a routine where every like but twice a week you do this whereas like a therapist would be like oh you need to develop a routine they're very similar things it's just it's it's just in a different painting you know yeah and i think like the like the knowledge of all the herbs and like blending those things together is like still done it's just back then they were seen as like you know like how do you know which herbs to do this see and then it's like what you're saying and then back then it would have been witchcraft today it's apothecary medicine or like yeah. natural medicine or whatever you want to call it. It's the same thing branded differently. Naturopathy, I think. Is that right? Uh, kind of. That's a little bit different, but it does fall under the umbrella of natural medicine. Mhm. But yeah, very but yes. neat, very cool. Wish I was a witch, not going to lie. I totally vibe with that. Oh, yeah. I feel like if, like, say, Hocus Pocus uh, Love Potion Witchcraft was a real thing, oh, I would be there. Are you kidding me? If I could, I would. <laughs> My deeply Christian would... roots do not allow for it, though. <laughs> I would be a Sanderson sister. You would. No, you'd just be all three of them melded into one. The Sanderson <laughs> sister. I'd be like, that's right, bitch. Yep. A three-in-one special. I put a spell on you, and now... You're mine. <laughs> and now you're dead. <laughs> no, that's the Delahad you're talking about. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> I'm but, afraid. <laughs> right? Okay, so I will jump into our description for today's episode. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm so excited. Yes. So the Salem Witch Trials were a series of hearings... I think I said that right. Yes. A series of hearings and prosecutions of people accused of witchcraft in colonial Massachusetts between February 1692 and May 1693. More than 200 people were ex- or were accused, not executed, sorry. Um, 30 were found guilty, 19 of whom were executed by hanging, 14 women and 5 men. One other man, Giles Corey, was pr- pressed... I was going to say presented. No, he was pressed to death for refusing to plead, and at least Ooch. five people died in jail. Yep. Yikes. So arrests were made in numerous towns beyond Salem and the Salem Village, known today as Danvers, notably Andover and Topsfield. The grand juries and trials um, for this capital crime were conducted by a court of Orier and Terminer. Terminer? Terminer. In 1692 and by Superior Court of Judicature in 1693. Both were held in Salem Town, where the hangings also took place, and it was the deadliest witch hunt in the history of colonial North America. Only 14 other women and two men had been executed in Massachusetts and Connecticut during the 17th century. The episode is one of colonial America's most notorious cases of mass hysteria. It has been used in political rhetoric and popular literature as a vivid cautionary tale 
about the dangers of isolationism, religious extremism, false accusations, and lapses in due processes. It was not unique, but a colonial American example of a much broader phenomenon of witch trials in the early modern period, which took place also in Europe. Many historians consider the lasting effects of the trials to be highly influential in the subsequent United States history. According to the historian George Lincoln Burr, the Salem witchcraft was the rock on which theocracy shattered. And that is the Salem witch trials description. So, yes. Um, now that now that we're all on the same page, do you want to take her away, Em? Did you know, in an effort to explain by scientific means the strange afflictions suffered by those bewitched, Salem residents in 1692, a study published in the Science Magazine in 1976, cited the fungus ergot found in rye, wheat, and other cereals, which toxicologists can say uh, say can cause symptoms such as delusions, vomiting, and muscle spasms. I did not know that. That's pretty neat. See, and like I like that we get to learn about this stuff more now in the future, whereas back then they were probably like, you eat bad bread, it's going to give you the crazies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a little... It's a little wild that bad bread... Or, like, bad beer could have that serious of an effect on people to the point where, like, mass lynchings were happening. Yes. Yes. Very good point. <laughs> That's pretty fucking crazy. Not good. Not not my fave vibe. See, and this um, is why people need to be choicey with it. Need to be choicier <laughs> with their beers. Or their bread. Don't get that fucking bread. white slice bread from fucking walmart go for the sourdough you deserve it i was gonna say the dollar store bread but i don't know if they (laughs) sell bread at the dollar store honestly probably i know they sell um oh uh what's that really bad knockoff cola that we bought the one time shasta cola yeah good good (laughs) memories (laughs) oh yeah yes so at this time, several accused witches confessed and named still others to attempt uh, to escape conviction of witchcraft, and the trial soon began to overwhelm the local justice system. So in May 1692, the newly appointed governor of Massachusetts, William Phelps, ordered the establishment of a special court of Oyer, or to hear, and Terminer to decide on witchcraft cases for Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex counties. So presided over by judges including Hawthorne, Samuel Seawall, and William Stoughton, the court handed down its first conviction uh, to the accused witches, and then it pers- uh, I cannot read this word, and then persisted in accusing and then uh, hanging the so-called accused witches, just hmm. any ones that went through the court system. Wow. Yeah. So, let's see. So, by July of that year, five were hanged, and then they had another five that were hanged in August, and then eight more in September. In addition, seven other accused witches ended up dying in jail, while the elderly Giles Corey uh, was pressed <laughs> to death by stones after he refused oh, no. to enter a plea for his arraignment. Oh, no. I was going to... 
be like Giles, what a name. But I'm so sorry, Giles. That is like it's the just worst. really unfortunate that he also is the same name as the professor from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I or mean, the maybe teacher. it's on purpose. It's been a long time. It might be on purpose. Mm. Mm. Food for thought. But yes, to summarize that, basically they had a court system appointed to kind of help between distinguishing witches from non-witches. But at the same time, they were still hanging the ones that went through the court system that were accused of witchcraft, which at, in the end of the day, like in three months, they had like over 20 people hung or around 20 people who had been hung in like Ooh. less than three months. Don't love that. Don't love it either, including one man uh, who wouldn't, uh, he he wasn't... If I'm remembering my notes correctly, I believe it was that he didn't want to confess his wife as being a witch. Mm. So that he took the blame for it. And so they pressed him to death instead Aww. of hanging him. Poor Giles. Yeah, he had a rough goal. That poor Giles. <laughs> what a sad, sad world. It's a, it's a neat name, though. I do like the name Giles. It's not common in this era, for sure. Nope. So, <laughs> not even a little bit. It's like, uh, I don't think it's very trendy to name your child Helga these days either, or one of those names, or Olga. Right? Those names have, I mean, at least in North America, gone extinct. I think so. Uh, but watch me meet somebody soon with that name, because that's always what happens. I mean, truly, it is. <laughs> right? We're so, ignorant and, uh, yeah. Oh, super happens. ignorant, super dumb, super blonde, <laughs> except for kind of only sometimes. <laughs> Share one brain cell. One brain cell, two people. <laughs> it's a full-time job. Truly. <laughs> yes. So through the respected minister, Cotton Mather had warned of dubious values of spectral evidence or testimony about dreams and visions his concerns went largely unheeded during the Salem Witch Trials. Increase Mather, president of the Harvard College and Cotton's father, later joined his son in urging that the standards of evidence for witchcraft must be equal to those of any other crime, concluding that it would be better that ten suspected witches may escape than one innocent person be condemned. Amid waning public support for the trials, Governor Phil Phipps, Phillips? It's Phipps, dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer in October and mandated that its successor disregard spectral evidence. So trials continued to dwindle intensely until 1693, and by then May Phipps had pardoned and released all those in prison on witchcraft charges. So in 1697, the Massachusetts General Court declared a day of fasting for the tragedy of the Salem witch trials, and the court later deemed the trials unlawful and the leading justice, Samuel Seawall, publicly apologized for his role in the process. The damage to the community lingered, however, after the Massachusetts colony passed legislation restoring the good names of the condemned and providing financial restitution to their heirs in 1711. Indeed, the vivid and painful legacy of the Salem witch trials endured well into the 20th century when Arthur Miller dramatized the events of 1692 in his play The Crucible, 1953, using them as an allegory for the anti-communist witch hunts led by Senator Joseph McCarthy in 1950. So that wraps up my whole history legal blurb 
around the witch trials, I wanted to talk about a lot more of like the, not like practical details, but kind of like how, like what spurred them on and then kind of what the after effects of the whole thing was rather than about the witches themselves, which I know is what you were going to be talking about. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Not to throw any spoilers in there, but we we need to work on our planning a little bit. But, (laughs) but on that note, though, I did uh, manage to include five interesting de- details that I found about the witch trials that I thought you might be interested in hearing. I Just was about the witch trials in general. <laughs> very interested to hear all of those details. I don't Perfect. know. The Salem witch trials are so interesting. Oh, on multiple levels, yeah. Like, everything about it is just, like, fascinating to me in the most horrific way. Oh, yeah, because... You would think that even with the idea of witches being a like collective of people that could possibly hurt you, that they still wouldn't do something along the lines of a mass lynching, but that is what it ended up getting to, and all because there was a group of like younger girls who were ill one day, and that was just kind of what kind of what came out of it. It's true, and with that, I shall. Uh escort you on into my story after i do my five uh facts or are we gonna save those till after oh i thought you were done <laughs> no <laughs> okay well then take her You're away like, i'm so interested in hearing except for now here's my story <laughs> jk <laughs> don't worry mine are really quick i just wanted to do them as kind of like a conclusion since there wasn't really like a conclusion conclusion mm. to the salem witch trials just as it is with history and that sort of thing so, my first well, I mean, interesting fact. There kind or, of was. They all got restoration and, like, they admitted that, oop, we made a big oopsie. Sort of. I'll let, I'll get into my fun <laughs> facts here first. Oh, okay. Am I jumping ahead <laughs> so, of myself then? Yes. I keep giggling because I know my notes. So, <laughs> so uh, the first one is that... Uh, there's been a lot of studies that have linked PTSD as potentially being a factor of how uh, the Salem witch trials got so out of hand. So many refugees from King William's War from 1688 to 1697 made it to Merrimack Valley, including a number of girls who would later make ac- accusations in the Salem trials in general. So these unfortunate girls had seen their families be brutally murdered during these conflicts during those years and it is potentially possible that PTSD, along with uh, other time period related things, could have also been a factor in mm. how it got so out of control. Right, that makes sense. Just like general fear reasons, I think would be the general be- would be the idea behind that hypothesis. I think so, like with anxieties heightened, it definitely would lead to those sorts of things. Oh, totally. And especially if you'd already seen death of like people who were close to you and that sort of thing, you would be very worried about anything else happening to people you care about. And it'd probably be very traumatizing, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the second one is that middle-aged women were at most risked for being accused of witchcraft. And it wasn't the stereotypical old crones either who were often put on trial, but women who were just past the traditional age of childbearing. So other risk factors... While married women were the subject of accusations, their husbands often stepped in to offer protection, and single women were particularly vulnerable. Class was also a factor, as lower-income women were more susceptible to prosecution. Mm. 
Don't love yeah. that. Don't love it either. Fucking but... society. Yeah. But number three. So while we often associate the witch trials with October, that was when the whole hysteria began to die down. According to Marshall, the problem spired out of control when the Massachusetts government sought to expedite the trials with a special court of Oyer and Terminer, uh, what I was talking about earlier, so Latin for to hear and determine, and the special court admitted the sinister-sounding spectral evidence, and the accusers could now provide testimony from dreams and visions. So that's what was another kind of contributing factor to that, is if, if somebody came in and they were like, I had a dream, Barbara, my neighbor, was a witch. They would put her on trial and then a bunch of people would decide whether or not she was actually a witch and then she would be hanged for it. Can you imagine mm-hmm. getting someone murdered because you had a dream about them? Oh, totally, yeah. Like, then- John would be dead. He yeah, would be dead. So, so would mine. He would be he would be dead because he <laughs> cheated on me in a dream once three years ago. Like, I'd be like, yep, that man's a witch. Get him. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> Bitch, he's totally done. Kidding. But it's crazy how that would even happen. Yeah, I, I can't even believe it either. But but there you have it, I guess, right? So um, I'm just trying to think if there was anything else from my little blurb here. So basically, Massachusetts Governor Sir William Phipps, who had established the, uh, the court of Oyer and Terminer, dissolved it in October after his own wife was accused of witchcraft. And that brought an end to the executions. Wow. Because somebody accused his wife and he was like, nah... We're done here. No more witchcraft. <laughs> I think we're over witchcraft now. Uh, we've had enough, guys. Like, maybe we we've should We've had enough. I, yeah, I went so. on a cleanse from gluten, and I'm finally seeing clear. <laughs> yeah, that's when they needed to be on a gluten-free diet was back <laughs> then. That was, like, the one time in history, well, I guess other than today for obvious reasons, where they should have been like, I need to cut out the bread and maybe the beer. <laughs> Why today? Well, because people are, are gluten intolerant still. Uh, well, I mean, people have been gluten intolerant throughout history. That's so. what I mean, but it's like, but that's what I'm saying. Like, now versus <laughs> then when they didn't know about gluten intolerance, Jennifer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then we've got number four. <laughs> so it wasn't until, oh, so this is what I was talking about. So it wasn't until 2001 when the last five guilty witches had their names cleared so that year, the Massachusetts legislature passed an act adding their names to all of those who had been officially exonerated. That's in 2001. They finally exonerated all of the witches. They were holding out on five of them. They were like, all of them? No. But these five, maybe? Yeah, right? <laughs> Absolute madness. So then number five. Not everybody at the time was swept up into the hysteria. A judge named Nathaniel Stallenstall resigned from court in June, disgusted at the miscarriage of justice and unwilling to accept the ludicrous spectral evidence's testimony. And with that, my story is done. I mean, it's... I mean, it's good that that guy was like, this is crazy, you're all being, like, psycho, but I feel like it would have been more impactful for him to stay and try and change it rather than just quit. Probably, but I also wonder, though, if maybe he was facing a lot of internal pressure for not going, for going against the grain also. And at that point, too, like, he could have also been accused of being a witch or, like, his wife or one of his daughters, you know? 
That's true. I didn't even think about that. So he's probably worried. It would be a hard position to be in for sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's the whole history behind it is definitely interesting. And I do like that I was able to find my fun facts. Like they uh, didn't exonerate all of the witches until 2001. They had like five of them where we're like, we're th- we think they're still witches, <laughs> but maybe not. And then finally their names, but maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. But yeah. 2001. What a progressive year. Yes. Very <laughs> progressive. But I would love to hear your story about the witches themselves because I have been keeping my fingers out of all that business because I know how excited you were to talk about the witches themselves. And I'm, I'm excited too. Maybe they maybe they were gluten intolerant and were the only people who could see clear. I, I think they were. Um, so with that, <laughs> I will spin you a tale, Emily. Um, Spin away. Today I'm going to tell you the tale of the first three women that were accused of witchcraft at the Salem Trials, um, which took place in colonial Massachusetts, like you've previously stated. So the first woman today that we're going to talk about is Elizabeth Betty Paris, and she was the first girl afflicted afflicted and one of the main accusers during the Salem Witch Trials of 1692. She was born in Boston on November 28th, 1682, and Betty moved to Salem with her family and their family's slave in November of 1689 when her father, Samuel Paris, was appointed the new minister of Salem Village. Her father, Samuel Paris, was a well-known minister at the Salem Church, and her mother, Elizabeth Paris, died a few years after the witch trials. Her brother, Thomas Paris, was born in 1681, and her younger sister, Susanna Paris, was born in 1687. Others living in the Paris household included Betty's orphan cousin, Abigail Williams, and Tichaba, their slave from Barbados. Okay. From Barbados, wow. Yeah. That'd be quite the trip. Would be quite the trip, and probably a very unpleasant one. Especially if you were being sold as a slave. Especially unpleasant, yep. Uh, Her father was appointed the owner of Salem Church in 1688 following a community effort to find a new minister. His wife Elizabeth and the rest of the fam moved from from Boston to join him in Salem. And by contract, Paris and his family were granted to live in the ministry house and owned the land around it. The house accommodated the whole family um, and another slave by the name of John. And I'm pretty sure that John, the family's second slave at the time, was Tichiba's husband. So let's give you a little background information on John and Tichiba. Um, Tichuba's husband was John Indian, an Amer- a Native American man whose origins are unknown, but he may have been from Central or South America. Uh, Tichuba may have been originally from Barbados. Um, however, the often unreliable records of enslaved people makes their origins very difficult to verify. Right. So, there are historians such as Samuel Drake who suggest Tichuba was African-American. It is thought that she was born in Barbados, but no one actually really knows for sure. Right. Sad. 
V sad. Um, in 1692, the Salem witch trials broke out after several girls claimed to be targeted by a devilish hand. After several, the after devil. at the devil, <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was going to make his way in here at some point. He always does. Let's be honest. Always, always. After several months, over 150 men, women, and children were charged with witchcraft and sorcery. So and sorcery. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear anything about the sorcery before. Oh my. <laughs> But I guess it makes sense, though, because they say that typically women would get accused of witchcraft and men would get accused of sorcery. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, Shortly after Samuel Paris's affairs with the church in 1692, his daughter Elizabeth and niece Abigail Williams seemed to go missing for short periods of time. Along with other New England youth, Elizabeth and Abigail led the way with little sorceries um elizabeth and abigail and the girls and the girls attempted fortune telling methods during their missing periods in hopes of discovering future husbands and social statuses they used an object called a venus glass which allowed them to observe the shape of an egg white as it floated in a glass of water in the water, the egg white would resemble a shape or symbol depicting their futures. In one instance, a girl found a coffin shape inside her glass and became quite frightened after the incident, according to John Hale's A Modest Inquiry into the Nature of Witchcraft. Oh. I honestly just love how the book is called A Modest Inquiry into the Nature of Witchcraft. I <laughs> feel like... That's a hilarious title. A modest inquiry. Yeah, it's just it's a it's just modest, you know. It's just a little just a little inquiry. I mean, it don't mean just nothing. Just a little looksies. It just it doesn't mean anything. It's just a little modern. And that's it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyways, in February 1692, strange illnesses appeared after the girls tinkered with fortune telling. Elizabeth acted abnormal by. Hiding under furniture, complaining of fever, barking like a dog, and screaming and crying out in pain. And her body convulsed into unhuman-like positions. Uh Uh-oh. Abigail complained of similar symptoms shortly after uh, Betty's episodes. And John Hale claimed to have personally seen the harm being done to Betty and Abigail, writing... A quest for security that these children were bitten and pinched by invisible agents. Their arms, necks, and backs turned this way and that way were turned back again. So it is impossible for it to do for them to do it themselves. Betty's father tried prayer and home rena- home remedies, but a cure or Betty's father tried prayer and home remedy home remedies as a cure, but nothing helped. Mm-mm. He couldn't pray it away. You couldn't. You can't pray the witchcraft away. Apparently, or the not. devil. Although Fact. apparently you're supposed to be able to, but I don't know. <laughs> Who's to say? He's just out in his flying canoe, having a good old time. Doesn't want to be bothered. <laughs> Excuse me, bitch. Get the fuck out of here with your fucking canoe. It's not just a canoe. It's the Shass Gallery. 
<laughs> Whatever, bitch. <laughs> um... Soon enough, he called in physician William Griggs and minister John Hale for a diagnosis. Both agreed that Betty and Abigail were suffering from witchcraft. There are I love that prescription lo- from the doctor. Not to cut you off, but I just wanted to go see somebody who can diagnose me with witchcraft. <laughs> I mean, same. Can I get a note from work for that? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, What's the situation? For, for class or whatever you did at the time, and just be like, I'm sorry, I've been diagnosed with witchcraft. I can't come in today. Mm, I'm going to need two weeks off. Thanks. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself when you said that. I was like, hmm, yes. <laughs> uh, there are more logical reasons the girls f- fell under these illnesses. Um, one thought was concluded as disorders such as asthma, stress, epilepsy, and even boredom. Others believe it was caused by uh, the ergot in the rye, which you mm-hmm. talked about. Yes. And Elizabeth's other friends were also beginning to show similar symptoms of bewitching. Griggs found it difficult to key in on the exact cure and noticed the victims were only children. This enabled other villagers to believe that the event was indeed brought on by witchcraft. Mm. Only children. A neighbor. Yeah. A neighbor, Mary Shilby, recommended a witch's cake to reveal the names of the witches. She instructed Tichuba to bake a rye cake with the victim's urine and feed it to a dog. Dogs were believed to support witches and their supernatural powers by following the witch's requests. Without alleviation of the illness, Betty eventually named Tichuba as one of the evil hands. Linder suggests Elizabeth and Abigail wrote their stories before making any accusations following their scenario to be more realistic. Tichuba and her husband went on to become one of the like main people accused in the witch trials, and they appear documented together in Samuel Paris's church record book. Hmm. Tichuba was the first person that was accused by Elizabeth and Abigail of witchcraft, and it has been theorized that Tichuba told the girls tales of voodoo and witchcraft prior to the accusations. Oh. Mm. So, Tichuba underwent questioning, um, and other victims, such as Anne Putnam Jr. and Elizabeth Hubbard, began to name their culprits as well. Other specified witches included Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good, who were also questioned. So now I'm going to give you a little background information on Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good before we kind of move on with our story. Mm -hmm. So Sarah Good was born as Sarah Solart and was born on either July 11th or July 21st. Apparently no one actually knows. Mm -hmm. Uh, she was born in Wenham, Massachusetts, and Good was accused of witchcraft on March 6th when Abigail and Elizabeth Paris claimed to be bewitched by her hand. The young girls asserted that they had been bitten, pinched, and otherwise abused by her. They would have fits in which their bodies would appear to be involuntarily convulsing and their eyes rolling to the back of their heads and their mouths hanging open. When Reverend Samuel Paris asked, Who torments you? The girls eventually shouted out the names of three townspeople 
Tituba, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne. So Sarah Good was of lower economic status, reduced to poverty due to the debt of her first husband, Danielle Poole. Accusers at the trials, especially in the trial of Sarah Good, often cited jealousy and envy as explanation for witches' discontent and anger. Her dependency on neighbors and others perpetrated suspicions of Good and other dependent women like her practicing witchcraft. Another theory behind the accusations were explained by her relationship with her husband and her neighbors. William Good claimed he feared his wife was a witch due to her bad carriage to him. She was accused by her neighbors because she challenged Puritan values and she was accused of possessing two women. The afflictions were often sporadic and inexplicable. On March 25th, Good was tried for witchcraft. She accused or she was accused of rejecting the uh, puritanical expectations of self-control and discipline when she chose to torment and scorn children instead of leading them towards the path of salvation. When she brought, was brought in, the accusers immediately began to rock back and forth and moan, seemingly in response to her presence. Later in trial, one of the accusers fell into a fit. When it had stopped, she claimed Good had attacked her with a knife she even produced a portion of it, stating the weapon had been broken during the alleged assault. However, upon hearing this statement, a young townsman stood and told the court the piece uh, had broken off his own knife the day before and the girl had witnessed it. He then revealed the other half, proving his story. After hearing this, Judge William Stoughton simply scolded the girl for exaggerating what he believed to be the truth. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. So, so don't love that. Not at all. And also, what it sounds like so far, which I didn't know, is that a part of the reason why this started was because some women were like, yeah, this is a good a, a good way to get back at some people that I don't like that have been bothering me. So collectively, let's just decide that we don't like these people. Uh, yeah, it seems like that was kind of a part of it. Yeah, which I also really don't like that. What happened to women supporting women? It wasn't a thing then. Fucking Terrible. bitches have always been petty. All those Karens. I'm t- every one of those people who accused them was a Karen. I will accept no other no other answer. Petty as hell. Petty as hell. Yep. Truly. So now I'm going to tell you about Sarah Osborne, who was born as Sarah Warren, and she was born in 1643 in Watertown, Massachusetts. She later married a prominent man by the name of Robert Prince. Prince was the brother-in-law and neighbor of Captain John Putnam, a member of the notable Putnam family. She moved with her husband to Salem Village in 1662, where the couple had two sons and a daughter, Joseph, James, and Elizabeth. Robert Prince died in 1674. Shortly following Robert Prince's death, Osborne hired an Irish um, immigrant, Alexander Osborne. Eventually, Alex Osborne paid off his indenture and the two married. Despite the late prince's wishes to carry over his 150-acre farm to his two sons, 
Osborne upset social norms when she overtook the property for herself and her new husband. Because Prince's uh, will designated the land would go to his sons once they became of legal age, Osborne taking the the property entered her into legal issues with her children. Mm-hmm. Putnam, as the executor of the prince's will, was also inevitably involved in these legal proceedings. Sarah became one of the first accused of witchcraft at the beginning of the year of 1692 when Betty Paris accused her of afflicting her, describing it as pinching and poking her with knitting needles. Mm. Okay. So, unlike Tichuba and Sarah Good, Osborne was not poor. She had not attended church in almost three years due to a long illness and was dealing with legal issues with the Putnam family. The accusations against Osborne were likely the product of powerful suggestions from the Putnam family. The warrant for Sarah Osborne's arrest was written on March 1st, 1692, and she was to be placed in the Boston jails for the duration of her examinations and trials, and she was sent to Boston along with Tichuba and Sarah Good on March 7th, 1692. During her examinations, she claimed she was innocent and denied being involved with evil spirits or hurting the children. She did not confess, nor did she accuse anyone else. Many of the accused in Salem were perceived to upset the established patterns of property, and Osborne certainly broke the social norms. Many in Salem knew about her fornication with Alexander, and by endeavoring to gain full ownership of her late husband's estate she ignored the tradition of family alliances in salem as she was denying her two sons wealth and social position the putnam's family their economic stability grew less secure by osborne's attempt at economic independence so it makes sense that the putnam family would have accused her mm-hmm All three women would have likely had few, if any, advocates on their behalf due to their low social status in Salem. Tichuba, who was also the first person to confess to witchcraft in Salem, um, Tichuba, who was the first to confess to her witchcraft in Salem in March 1692. She initially denied her involvement with witchcraft and later confessed to making a witch cake due to being beaten by Samuel Paris with the intention of getting a confession. So that neighbor who I told you about earlier who suggested they make this witch cake because the dogs can tell who the witches are. Right. Essentially by following orders and making that witch cake they were able to put that back on her and be like well you made it so you must be a witch no yeah oh and my then they goodness. beat her until she agreed that she did it okay that's horrible but that's also why like i understand now why there is a lot of the rules or certain things that we have today because like for example one of the things is you're never supposed to take a confession out of somebody who's uh Who's uh, in, like, a torture position, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, if, like, that ends up being something to deal with because you can, it's unreliable. And then just hearing stuff like this where they're like, well, we beat her and she said she was a witch. So, obviously, she's a witch. It's like, yeah, okay. And then the fact she made a, a witch cake, which is, 
I don't even know if you could really count that as witchcraft. Like there's stuff that people do today where it's kind of like just like an old wives or like a traditional thing to do, depending on like where you came from. Especially since it wasn't even her idea. It was the neighbors. Yeah. Maybe this neighbor lady's the real witch. Wouldn't that be something? All these witches accused and the only real one doesn't... Nothing happened to her? Fucking... What a Karen. What a Karen. Yes. So, um, when questioned later, she added that she knew about the occult techniques from her mistress in Barbados, who taught her how to ward herself from evil powers and how to reveal the cause of witchcraft. Since such knowledge was not meant for harm, Tijiba again asserted to Paris that she was not a witch, but admitted that she had participated in an occult ritual when she made the witch cake in an attempt to help Elizabeth Paris. Tichiba, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne were sent to jail in Boston to await trial and punishment on March 7th, And despite these confessions, there is no proof that she did the things to which she confessed. So, although Good and Osborne denied all the allegations against them, Tichiba admitted to being the devil's servant. She stated that a tall man dressed in all black came to them, demanding they sign their names in a great book. Although initially refusing, Tichiba said she eventually wrote her name after Good and Osborne forced her to. There were six other names in the book as well, but they were not visible to her. She said that Good had ordered her her cat to attack Elizabeth Hubbard, causing the scratches and bite marks on the girl's body. And the cat she actually spoke listened of... to her? That is witchcraft. <laughs> right? <laughs> she spoke of seeing Good with black and yellow birds surrounding her, and that Good had also sent these animals to harm the girls. When the girls began to have another fit, Tichiba claimed she could see yellow birds in Good's right hand. All of the young accusers agreed. Hmm. When Good was allowed the chance to defend herself in front of 12 jurors in the Salem Village meeting house, she urged or she argued her innocence, proclaiming Tichiba and Osborne as the real witches. In the end, however, Good was convicted of witchcraft and sentenced to death, and on July 29, 1692, Sarah Good was hanged along with four other women convicted of witchcraft. Ah. So, while the other four quietly awaited execution, Good firmly proclaimed her innocence. The Reverend, or Re- the Reverend Nicholas Noyes was persistent but unsuccessful in his attempts to force Good to confess. When she was found guilty by the ju- judges, including Noyes, she yelled to him, I am no more a witch than you are a wizard, and if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. And here is a fun fact. Oh. 25 years later, Noyes, the Reverend who was basically trying to force her to confess, died from choking on his own blood huh i think that is called either karma or she manifested it either way i'm here for it that's a hell of a coincidence is all i gotta say is it a coincidence though we'll never know was she really a witch Ooh. Probably not. No. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, Considering literally none of these people were actually witches, yeah. <laughs> can I go with no? 
Go um, good was no. the sad part is good was well one of the sad parts i mean it's all sad mm-hmm. good was pregnant at the time of her arrest and gave birth to an infant in her cell in the jail in ispuch and the infant died before her mother was hanged oh okay yeah, yeah that that just adds to the sadness that's nah nah mm. wah 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 and Sarah Osborne died in jail on May 10th, 1692, believed to have been 49 years old. Okay. Huh. So other men and women from surrounding villages were accused of witchcraft and arrested at the Salem witchcraft trials. Not only did Tichaba accuse others in her confession, but she also talked about black dogs, hogs, a yellow bird, red and black rats, cats, a fox, and a wolf. Tichaba talked about riding sticks to different places. She confessed that Sarah Osborne possessed a creature with the head of a woman, two legs, and wings. Since it makes various perspectives on witchcraft, Tichaba's confessions confused listeners, and its similarities to certain uh, tropes of demonology caused some Salem village residents to believe that Satan was among them. <laughs> that okay i shouldn't be at least she took them for a ride because it's terrible but i will say if i was in a similar position and i had a feeling that i was going to be convicted regardless i'd just start pulling shit out of the air too and be like (laughs) yep and there was a woman with bat wings while everybody's like (laughs) stay away satan is walking among us it's the devil oh no yeah i mean awful but kind of funny just a, a little look. bit. I understand her, I think, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Later that year, in March, Elizabeth dreamed about a black man whom she presumed to be the devil. And he wanted her to join forces and to be ruled by him. However, her family found this extremely terrifying and sent her to live with another family, the Seawalls hoping that she could get away from witchcraft. In the Seawalls household, Elizabeth did not did experience some symptoms, but ultimately regained full health. The okay. trials were diminishing around September 1692 when the public began to resist the idea of witchcraft, and eventually the Massachusetts General Court granted freedom to all those accused of sorcery and apologized to their families for the hardships created from the Salem witch trials. Good. After the trials, Tichaba remained in jail because Samuel Paris refused to pay her jail fees. In April of 1693, Tichaba was sold to an unknown person for the price of her jail fees. In an interview with Robert Kalf for his collection of papers on the trials, titled More Wonders of the Invisible World, Being an Accountant in the Trials of Several Witches, Lately executed in New England, Tichaba confirmed that Paris had beaten a confession out of her and then coached her in what to say and how to say it when first questioned, which is very sad. That is really sad. In 1693, the Salem witch trials ended. Betty Paris never retracted her accusations or made any acknowledgments. And in 1710, age 27, Betty married Benjamin Barron, a yeoman, which or yeoman, which is a servant in the royal or noble household 
ranking I think it's between a yeoman. I'm pretty yeoman. sure it's yeoman. I dated yeah. somebody with the last name. <laughs> so basically, they rank between a sergeant and a groom, or a squire and a page. Right. He was also a trader, a cordwainer, and a shoe a shoemaker. Hmm. And her father still cared for her and her siblings, even though she was married, which is hmm. confusing. But okay, All right. it is what it is, I guess. Paris provided her with household stuff to better furnish her home with Benjamin. He bought her silver, gave her money and plates, as well as pictures and decor to hang on the walls. She and Baron had four children, Thomas, Elizabeth, Catherine, and Susanna. And Elizabeth survived her husband by six years, dying on March 21st. 1760 in Concord, Massachusetts at the age of 77. Mm-hmm. In 1710 also, William Good, Sarah Good's husband, successfully sued the Great and General Court for health and mental damages done to Sarah, um, ultimately receiving 30 pounds sterling, one of the largest sums granted to the families of the witchcraft victims. Wow, that's pretty good for back then. But still not enough. That, <laughs> not enough for nope. literally fucking murdering his wife, causing yep. her to have a miscarriage. Um, yep. Like I said, shall we go pretty on? Pretty good for back then, but still not enough. I don't think anything would be enough. No, you have to know necromancy to bring to fix that problem, and then you'd be a witch. Like there's no winning. God damn it, guys! Yeah, what are we done here? Oof. No, but that, I I do really like my, re- like, doing research about the Salem Witch Trials, though. It's a very fascinating subject. I'm glad that we were able to cover it. I know, and it's so spooky because what happened to those people, what happened to the people is horrifying. Oh, totally, yeah. Terrible, awful. T- terrible by back then standards, I would hope so, and definitely terrible by today's standards. But... On that Super note, spooky. would you like to spin for our topic for next week? The next topic of Ooh, Spooktober? Yes. I'm excited. I'm really hoping it's the one I'm thinking about just because it'll be horrible to cover, but I'm kind of looking forward to it. But we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I guess we'll see. Only the wheel can tell. Only the wheel can tell. Are you ready? I mean, I hope we don't get that one just because you're too excited about it. <laughs> We do have other options, but we'll we'll see what happens. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> oh wow! We're gonna do sexy monsters next week. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, I've been excited about this one just because I know that Twilight, for example, has made a big re reappearance in the last few months and I'm interested to see what I can find for research regarding the subject of sexy monsters. I feel like that's a very like cultural thing. Hmm. I didn't even think about Twilight. Hmm. Right? Interesting. I Mm -hmm. don't know what the fuck I'm going to cover. That was my (laughs) my first thought when we were writing down topics to like put on the wheel. That was my first thought when we put down sexy monsters. I was like, it's got to be vampires. It's got to be Twilight. It's got to be werewolves. I know everything already. I'm so ready for this. (laughs) Uh, 
You're probably more prepared than I am. <laughs> oh, I've got ideas just spinning in my head. Like I said, I cannot wait to do my research for this. But I do think that takes us to the end of the episode, though, if we uh, if we want to do our plugins. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Wheel of Crime. And guess what, dudes? We got a TikTok. We and do. At Wheel of Crime podcast. Yeah, on the tickety talk. Um, you can also. We are attempting to post there. <laughs> yes. Here's the thing uh, we are no longer within the age group of people who are trendy anymore. So it's going to take a we little bit of time to figure out what we should be sharing. But never- nevertheless, <laughs> we will give it our best shot. <laughs> we'll give her a go. We'll give her a, give her a, just give her. We're just going to get. <laughs> Getting hip with the kids. Getting her. Um, and then our email is wheelofcrime at gmail.com if we haven't said that already. And also you can subscribe to our Patreon if you would like to help support us. We do have different tiers available depending on what suits your budget or your needs and what you want from us. Definitely go take a look at that. And otherwise, I think that's about it, unless there's something that you can think of. Oh, listening to us. Um, yeah, you can listen to us pretty much anywhere uh, podcasts are available. Wherever you're listening now is probably a good place to be. Uh, if you yep. can leave us a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts, we would be so appreciative. Very appreciative. Yes, please, if you are listening to us still, do do the do the reviews thing. It helps us reach out to more people. We would love to uh, expand our audience, be able to reach out to more like-minded people so we can all gossip between each other. It's going to be great. I can already picture it, but uh, we, but we need to we need to be heard. Spoiler, if you're still listening, you get a, a little secret. Oh, we are secrets. doing our ghost stories at the end of this month. Yes, for our special episode for the for the Halloween weekend of this month is going to be our own personal ghost stories, which is always a fun time. So fun. <laughs> Maybe we'll have some red wine while we do it and dress up and get extra festive. Ooh. I know, and no exciting. one will know except for us. Right? <laughs> and I guess we can screenshot each other, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, otherwise, I guess we'll see you next week for our sexy monsters episode. Ooh. See you guys then. And uh, see you then too, Em. Yeah, so I'll see you then too. Take care, everybody. See you. <laughs> On the other side of the astral plane. Oh, Jesus Christ. Bye. <laughs>